This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. Payments fraud, skimming attacks, and emerging technology options for chip and pen. Could the convergence of those factors make the timing right for a U.S. move to EMV? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Today we hear from Randy Vanderhoof, Executive Director of the Smart Card Alliance, about how a number of factors working in tandem could push the U.S. to begin investments in new payments technology. Randy, the last time we spoke, we talked about the so-called roadmap the U.S. might follow on its path toward EMV. The path we pursue might not look like what's been implemented in Europe, but it could take technology that's similar and would enhance capabilities for global payments, convergence, and enhanced security. Could you give us a little background about what that roadmap in the U.S. might look like? Well, sure, Tracy, and thank you for having this conversation today. So we're definitely at the end of the road when it comes to the old magnetic stripe card. And now we're looking at a whole new direction in terms of where do we go from here. And that roadmap has a lot of different options to it. And um, as we explained in the last discussion, we had um, EMV chip cards, um, contactless payments, NFC mobile payments all offer many different options for the U.S. payments industry and different technology decisions that need to be made along the way. And we're just starting now to look at how the U.S. market differs from um, Europe and Asia and, and other places that have implemented EMV and that we don't necessarily have to follow exactly the same script that those other countries have led, but actually use the options that are available to us based on the current state of the technology and the understanding of how the industry might adopt this technology in the U.S., um, to really take a fresh look at it. And I think a lot of smart people are starting to have those discussions today. Now, you raise a good point, Randy. When we talk about mobile payments, chip cards, and NFC, what's the common ground in all three? Well, all of them introduce something that's severely lacking in the U.S. market, which is dynamic data. And I can't emphasize enough that the old magnetic stripe is based on a very vulnerable static data format that is what the hackers are going after um, to harvest that information, to create clone copies of these cards, and to um, force issuers who might be suspected that they've had a data breach to reissue tens of millions of cards a year. Um, by introducing dynamic data into the transaction stream, which is something that mobile card, mobile payments, chip cards, and and uh, and contactless cards bring to the um, to the marketplace, it devalues that data that is what the criminals are going after, and it makes it much more difficult for the criminals to create fraudulent copies or skim the data from the U.S. card issuers. That important element alone is going to dramatically reduce the amount of fraud and change the direction of fraud mitigation from simply trying to protect the existing card to actually focusing on where the card is being used and where the uh, criminals that are attempting to use those cards can be further attracted and, uh, and stopped. 
And how does NFC support mobile payments? What does the current contactless infrastructure look like and how would it be compatible with payments technology that's already in place in other parts of the world, such as Europe? So most people that have been following the industry know that we've, um, we're now seven years into a migration of contactless payment technology led by the brands, um, solutions, MasterCards, PayPass, uh, Visa's PayWave, American Express, Express Pay, and Discover Zip products, and um, hundreds of, uh, of of different financial institutions have issued contactless cards in the U.S. And somewhere between 75 million and 85 million cards have been issued now. So as NFC comes along, NFC is going to be able to leverage the infrastructure that's been established for contactless cards and just offer one additional option for consumers, which is to use their mobile phone as the means for delivering that payment transaction at the point of sale. What NFC brings to the table besides simply another way to pay is that the mobile phone is an intelligent computing device that can be connected to the Internet and it can be uh, can serve as a device that can receive data as well as transmit data. So it's a very powerful tool to be able to not only deliver payments, but also to um, accept coupons and promotions and, um, and marketing messages from retailers that will actually help shape the way consumers shop in the stores in the future. And we've talked about contactless payments in the past, and it seems like interest in contactless payments has kind of slacked a bit in the U.S. Do you think that the move to mobile or to mobile payments might reignite some of the interest and acceptance of contactless payments? I do, and, and part of the evidence for that was um, how successful um, contactless payment stickers were and have been since they've come out. and. And everywhere I go, I see people that um, have heard of or have used their contactless payment stickers on their phones at, at convenience stores and um, uh, um, shopping centers and, and gas stations and, and all over the place. And they really like the concept of being able to use their mobile phone. Um, we think that, um, that NFC is going to further um, ignite consumer interest in contactless payments because um, it provides some very interesting ways in which consumers can be incented to use contactless payments through their mobile phone by being able to interact with merchants and receive promotions and, and, and coupons and um, location-based advertising and other ways that um, will really um, help shape the way consumers shop in the future. An another point that the NFC phone offers that contactless cards never could deliver was that it, it has that, uh, you know, a, a user interface, it has a display, it has a keyboard um, in the mobile phone, so it actually provides a lot more interactive capabilities than a standard contactless card um, would offer. Now, from a more timely perspective, Randy, I'd like to just ask a quick question here about interchange and the impact that some of the things we're seeing right now with the Durban Amendment could have on contactless payments and EMV and mobile. When we think about the Fed Reserve's decision on interchange, how do we think that could impact or motivate merchants and financial institutions to make a move to EMV or to some type of NFC mobile payment platform? 
Well, all eyes are on the, the Federal Reserve and, and, and what decision they're going to come out with today. And, and I think a lot of people are starting to look at um, what might be the possible outcomes of a decision to dramatically reduce interchange. Um, from my perspective, I think the, the cost of fraud is going to become extremely difficult to be absorbed if the revenue that uh, finance institutions would count on from their interchange channel um, gets dramatically reduced. So for years, we've heard the banks um, promote the fact that um, interchange rate is low and that there's really not a business case to invest in EMV technology. But when the percentage of fraud against the revenue that those card transactions generate um, dramatically changes, then my suspicion is, is that um, the business managers are going to take a harder look at fraud and look for ways in which they can actually significantly change the curve on that and reduce it in the future. And that's going to be a one-time investment in chip technology or NFC and contactless um, that will then provide them with a whole other level of, uh, of fraud reduction that they can achieve down the road. Now, I want to go back to talk about security and contactless specifically. Um, there have been concerns in the past about contactless technology, radio frequency identification, which is better known as simply as RFID, and security mm -hmm. concerns surrounding that, though it has been suggested that the reality is that contactless payments are more secure than MagStripe payments. So there's there's been a lot of um, uh, media coverage about uh, about these alleged uh, um, breaches of uh, of data from from contactless cards, and you know we've fought hard to try to set the record straight by providing um, expertise on the layers of security that go into the payment system that go beyond just the simple ability to read the account data from the contactless payment device. Uh, we think we've put that discussion to bed. There's been no reported breaches of people's credit card data as a result of, of uh, skimming of contactless cards. Um, we know that there's layers of security um, that go into the, 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 the system. Uh, to prevent that kind of uh, vulnerability, and you know we don't think it's a it's an issue. The the mobile devices um, have even additional opportunities for um, for securing that data because the mobile phones themselves have uh, pin protection. The payment transact applications that are going to reside in those mobile phones um, will also likely have uh, a, a pin security. So considering where we've we're coming from in terms of the old magnetic stripe card, which was basically vulnerable to any type of attack. Um, contactless payment cards offered a significant additional layer of security, and now NFC phones are going to add more security on top of that. So it's all part of a process of, um, of closing down some of the old ways in which data can be um, can be stolen from the payments industry and create fraudulent cards and fraudulent transactions and um, really opening up new opportunities for how people can uh, can make payments. And Randy, could you tell us about what some of those different security mo models are for mobile and contactless payments? <clears throat> so the the mobile devices um, that are going to support uh, payments 
um, are built around something called the secure element, which will reside um, in the mobile handset and be a secure container for the card transaction data. Um, when that transaction is made, when someone uses their phone at a point of sale, the communications between the phone handset and the point of sale device will implement the same dynamic data string that uh, contactless cards generate today. And if and when the U.S. market starts to process payments using EMV, the additional security capabilities of EMV will also be a part of that mobile payment transaction. So we now are um, seeing how um, the level of security with new technology is going to dramatically increase uh, as we move off of this old uh, roadmap of, of magnetic stripe and move into the uh, technology of the future. And as you've pointed out earlier, we have actually some examples to look to in the industry to, to support the fact that these types of transactions can be more secure. Could you give us a little background on what's going on with transit and or open payments? Well, transit is a very interesting um, market to follow because the, the transit industry represents a very um, um, attractive uh, set of, uh, of consumers for um, people who are involved in advancing um, contactless and mobile payments. For those people who um, um, use transit in major cities around the country, they usually go to a uh, kiosk machine and, and put their cash or their credit or debit card into a machine and transfer that um, into fair payment media um, and put money on a card or a paper ticket to be used to access the trains and buses and subways. Um, what the, the transit industry is looking to do is to um, migrate their acceptance systems to not only accept the fair media that they have traditionally offered, but also to accept contactless cards and mobile phones that are issued through the open banking system. Um, what's attractive about the transit industry for banks is that it's a group of consumers that um, use their payment device multiple times a day, and therefore uh, it's people that are likely going to, um, once they've used it a few times, it will become a part of their daily activity. Uh, it will also um, increase ridership because people who um, avoid riding on buses and trains and subways often do so because they don't want the hassle of having to, to go and purchase tickets and put money onto a card that they might never um, fully use um, or are unsure about the, faith, the, the payments that are accepted in those systems or maybe simply don't have the cash that they would need to normally get in uh, and, and operate on those on those riders. But, you know, being able to pull out your payment card and tap it on a acceptance device in any city in the country um, provides a level of comfort for people that I think will help um, mass transit ridership increase. So it's really good for the banks, it's good for the transit operators, it's good for consumers. And what about some of the initiatives that are taking place in the industry? Wells Fargo and Chase, for instance, have been issuing cards to some of their cardholders who travel overseas, and they're issuing separate EMV cards for them. Can you tell us how those programs have been launched and what the thinking behind them was? Certainly. So, again, you know, the, the end of the road for Mag Stripe is being played out not only in the U.S., but outside the U.S. as well. As more countries um, become... Um, 
committed to chip technology and the use of smart cards for payment, there's less um, acceptance for the old magnetic stripe cards. So what people from the U.S. were finding as they were traveling to cities in Europe and Asia and, and elsewhere was that they would um, have their U.S.-issued magnetic stripe cards um, not be accepted in all places. And this has created a significant burden on U.S. customers. Um, so what the leading banks have started to recognize is rather than um, lose those transactions by people moving away from their cards and going back to cash, they could capitalize on those uh, international traveler customers by offering them a payment card that will work in the U.S. as a traditional magnetic stripe card, but also contain an EMV chip in the card that they could then use when they're traveling outside of the U.S. in those acceptance locations that only accept chip or that favor chip over magnetic stripe. So it's a way to um, service their customer base without having to uh, make a significant change in their entire cardholder infrastructure and just um, um, begin with uh, issuing EMV to their international travelers. And before we close, Randy, what final thoughts would you like to leave our audience with? Do you expect the U.S. to make a move to EMV sometime mm -hmm. soon? Well, I think the U.S. market has started to seriously look at EMV and all of its forms and start to plot a new roadmap for payments in the U.S. market. Um, there's a lot of um, attention being placed on Canada, which, as you may know, is um, almost fully, fully implemented EMV. And because of the close ties between the, the region, um, there's a lot of uh, information and experience that can be passed back and forth, both from the financial institution side and processing side, as well as from the merchant side. So there's some great lessons learned there. There's also some, um, some lessons where they don't want to repeat. And I think this is what's positioning the U.S. market to actually have a very efficient approach to EMV because they can take what's happened in countries that have not done well or and, and address uh, the changes that will work best for the U.S. market and also piggyback on the new technology innovations that are happening with mobile phones and come up with a really um, strategy for the market as it exists not only today but five years from now when the full implementation of VMV is likely to take place. Randy, I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. Okay, it's been a pleasure, Tracy. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from Randy Vanderhoof, Executive Director of the Smart Card Alliance. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.